0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. So we're going to jump right in tonight. James chapter 1, let's stand and we'll read this text together. James chapter 1. And we, we began our series last week with an overview of the book. And then we, we really just looked at the first phrase and it says, James, a servant. That's all we looked at last week. James, a servant. He could have said, James, the son of Mary. He could have said, James, the brother of who? The, James, the brother of Jesus. He could have said that. He could have said, James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem which at that time would have been the largest church on earth, probably. I mean, just an incredible ministry, but he didn't. He said, James, the servant. And it's an example for us because we're all just servants. If anybody could have dropped some names, James could have dropped some names, but he didn't. And when you re- because when you recognize how lost you are and how much you needed Christ and how much we still need Christ, then all we can really see ourselves as is a low, lowly, humble, and uh, undeserving servant. That's all we are. I'm thankful for that truth that we looked at last week. Let's begin reading in verse one again, and then we'll read down through verse eight. It says, "James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting." My brethren count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We're going to look tonight at trials. And I've just called it, and Brother Jude and I were, he would mention this phrase even this weekend. You know, with trials, it's not if, but when. It's not if, but when. He says, My brethren, counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Not if. The trials are coming, and there's some thing, important things for us to understand about the trials, but there's also something important for us to know how to respond the trials and i will look at that tonight let's pray and ask god to bless our time together father thank you for the truth here i'm already excited about it lord i pray that you'd help me to convey it it's already here i just i need your help tonight to convey it we need your help to illuminate it i pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives god we need you tonight and we pray that you bless the reading of your word in jesus name amen Amen. all right thank you. you may be seated you may remember this comic sh- the, the cartoon strip, Beetle Bailey. Well, there's one with Beetle Bailey, and he's in bed, and it's almost noon. And that sounds like the character, if you know anything about Beetle Bailey. So one officer asked if there was a reason that Private Bailey was still in bed asleep. And another officer then replied that Beetle's explanation was he had been through a lot. That's what he said. Well, the first officer said, he's the only soldier I know who goes through a lot without actually going anywhere. And, you know, I love that punchline. I, I know it's, you know, it's a little bit silly, but you can't say that you've gone through a lot if you haven't gone anywhere. And what I mean by that is that's how many of us deal with the trials and tests of life. In that we've been through plenty of trials and tests. And there are Christians that have been through plenty of difficulties because everyone goes through them. But they haven't produced much change in us. See, the readers of James were facing serious difficulty. These were Christian Jews that had been scattered abroad. Because of persecution. And so James write, writes this book to help them to mature in their Christian faith. And the first thing he deals with is trials. And so James writes this book so that they'll become mature. And he wants their faith to work. You know, that's the title of this series is Faith Works. When you have genuine faith, it will show up in your life. Faith works. If you have genuine faith and you're going through something difficult or you're facing a certain situation, that faith, if it's genuine, it will show up. And James desires that the believers that are reading this letter will use their difficulties to become mature, that they would be fully developed. In verse 3, he says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. In verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work. So we see that word perfect a couple of times. And as we mentioned last week, that word perfect does not mean sinlessness, it means completeness. It means maturity. It means that you are, you are whole. And, that, and what he's saying is that the trials and tests of life should produce maturity in us. Going through trials is part of life. I mean, every writer of the Bible faced difficult trials. Every follower of God in God's word follow, had difficulties. Every Bible character faced difficulties. In, G, in John 16:13, Jesus said, "These things have I, I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world." And what he's saying is interesting. He says, be of good cheer. But he says that right after he said, ye shall have tribulation. So he doesn't say, be of good cheer right after he says, life is going to be good. Be of good cheer. No, he says, life is going to be hard. Be of good cheer. And that's an interesting contrast there because that's not what we think of when we think of cheer. We don't think difficulty equals happiness. But you know, there are no trouble exemptions. And we have people in our church that are, they work at certain places that maybe require right now the the vaccine and they're trying to figure out how to do that and maybe find a way to get an exemption for that. And I'm praying for the people that feel that's the way they ought to do that they can. But you know, if there's an exemption for that, um, as much as we want to skip difficulties in life, we don't get the exemption for that. And what we learn from this text is that troubles and trials are allowed because God uses them to do something in us, or he uses them to do something with us, or to do something for us. And I first want to just think about the terminology. He says in, in, verses, in verse two, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. And the word here uh, refers to trials or troubles or Stress. Uh, and, And the idea that comes out of James 1 in this passage, this text here, is that these trials are good for developing our faith. Kind of like if you've ever worked out and maybe you've tried to lift weights before. If you've ever tried to lift weights, then you know that you don't get stronger unless you push yourself. The muscles have to tear, and in tearing, then they have to heal. But as they heal, they get stronger because they've been stretched. And in very many ways, that's what the idea here is. These temptations, these difficulties are there to develop our faith. You can consider this word. You could also say it's a test. This temptation is a test. It's meant to reveal what we know. And if you're in school right now and you have a test, your test reveals what you know. It, it lets people see what you've actually studied and if you've studied and if you just waited till last night to study. That's the way it works for some people. You know, temptation seems bad for us at first, but in the end, temptations and tribulations, the, these tests, they can be good for us because they have a positive effect on us. Now, now that's different, though, than if you read down in verses 13 and 14. Look at this. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, it's a similar idea, but it's not the same concept. If the idea in verse 2 is to develop our faith, the idea in verse 13 is to destroy our faith. And there's a difference there. If, if there's, there are tribulations that will develop our faith or, or temptations, but there are also temptations that will destroy our faith. Meaning these kinds of temptations later in the chapter seem good to us at first, but for they're bad for us in the end. Whereas the temptations at the early part of the chapter seem bad to us at first, but they're good for us at the end. So there's a difference here. Well, uh, you know, how can you tell the difference? Well, verse 13, there the idea is the solicitation to do evil. Like in in the Garden of Eden, Eve was being tempted or enticed to sin, not to grow in her faith. Uh, In verses 2 and 5, it's not about being tempted to sin, it's about cooperating with God during a test to allow him to change us there's a big difference in those and, and it's good for us to understand it because that confuses some people sometimes what another way that you can look at it is if the origin of the test is something from without it's verse two but if the origin is something um, uh, the origin is something from within our sinful nature for instance it's a verse 13 temptation so, verse two, temptations are life tests, or trials, or tragedies, or even something small like an annoyance. And you know, and it's interesting what seems small. Small things can be temptations. Small little things can be temptations. It, if you're if you're sick, if you and and you have to miss work, well, that can be a temptation. Uh, it, it can be a trial. If you if if you have one of your appliances breaks down if you everybody if you ever had a washer or dryer break or you ever had a refrigerator go out don't have a refrigerator go out during covid because it'll be like six months before they get any more refrigerators in to replace the one that broke Uh, if you've ever had a fender bender if you ever get stuck in traffic if you've ever had a flat tire on the side of the road those are small things but they can be temptations but big things can be temptations too You know, this last year and a half feels like it's been full of big temptations and trials. I mean, COVID and terminal illnesses, job loss, financial difficulty, the loss of loved ones. But I'm telling you, I I don't know that I've ever personally felt the loss of so many people um, either close to me or close to the people that are close to me than just the last few months. It's been incredible. Those are, those are not small temptations. Those are big. But God can use the small and the big things to mature us. And you could say it this way. Temptations put our faith on trial. They test our faith to see where we are and to take us to a different level. So what's the strategy when we face a test? What do you have to think about when you're facing a temptation or a trial? How do we make sure that the test isn't wasted? Because far too many of us waste the test. Well, it starts with understand understanding about troubles. And the first is very simple, and that is trials will happen. It, it's, not a, it's not if, it's when. It, trials are a part of life. And when he says, when you fall, count it all joy, when you fall into diverse temptations. To fall means you don't choose the trial. You're, you're, not, you're not picking it out. You're literally walking along. Life is good, and you fall into a trial. Fall means life is going great. Suddenly, here's a problem. An unwanted, unavoidable, or inevitable problem. Trials are not if, but when. Not maybe, but probably. Uh, Not could happen, but likely will happen. And in God's school of life, trials are not electives. They're required courses. Trials are not all the same, though. Paul uses the word diverse. He says, "Counter all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and and various." That means various or different or miscellaneous. Some some come because we're human. And you're, if you get sick, it, you know it's because you're human. If you if you get into an accident, it's because it's you're human, and that's life. If you have disappointments, that's life. Some trials or temptations come because we're Christians. They come because we have opposition and and we have attacks and we're persecuted and and there are people all around the world right now that that can't meet publicly like we do and they're facing temptations because they're christians and they're they're being targeted because of their stand for god and you think about job i mean job was targeted because he was a christian because he was a follower i say christian he was a follower of god and listen sometimes we we forget that we're in a battle We think that maybe the Christian life is to be fought from the spiritual lazy boy. But it requires armor, according to Ephesians 6. This is a battle. Be ready for the trials. And some are going to feel big and others are going to feel small. And do you know how to tell the difference between the big trials and the small ones? Okay? If, if, If it's your temptation or your trial, it's small. But if it's mine, it's big. Did you catch that? You know, if it's somebody else's issue or or temptation or trial, you know, it doesn't seem real big, but if it's mine, it seems like it's really big. You know, you talk to somebody and, and that's not, I'm not the only selfish one here, by the way, mine can seem small to you and yours, but if it's yours, it seems big. You know, and that's, have you ever met somebody that they're going through something that really seems like a big deal to them and you're like, what's the big deal? But the same thing happens to you and you're like, this is a big deal. I mean, I think about like, you know, when somebody, and I'm not trying to downplay this because if you're a dog person, don't be offended. But when somebody loses their dog or their dog dies, I mean, to me, I'm like, what's the big deal? But if you've ever lost a dog that you really loved, it seems like a big deal. Now, if it's a cat, that's a totally different category. That's never a big deal. If you're a cat person, I'm sorry, we'll schedule an appointment this week know the reason it's important for us to know the reason for trials though it first i i trials are there to test us in verse three he says knowing this that the trying of your faith and trying is that by which something is tried or proven it reveals us our faith is being tested when we face temptations our faith is being put in a situation that it, that will prove it true faith by the way will be revealed because faith is like gold it stands in fire And 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 false faith just burns up. Trials will test our faith and they'll reveal how strong we are. Because faith works. Our faith will work even in trials, by the way. Abraham's faith was tested with Isaac. And if you think about him, he he often wavered early on while he was following God. But the test with Isaac really matured his faith. It proved his faith. God God is trying to mature you with the temptations you're facing. And what's interesting is that for some people, it may seem like a small temptation, but for you on your Christian journey, where you are in your life, it feels like a big thing. That's okay. Just make sure you respond, understanding that that trial is there to test you. It's there to reveal your faith. And as you grow in the Lord, the temptations probably get bigger. And if they get bigger, you just approach it like you did last time. It's a test, it's revealing my faith, so I will face it the way that I know I'm supposed to. So the, the reason for trials is they test us, but they also are there to teach us. In verse 3, he says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience is, it comes from two parts of a Greek word, which is hupo and meno, and hupo means under. It specifically refers to pressure and then mino is to abide so if you put those things together then you have this idea that patience is learning to abide under pressure to to keep standing when it gets difficult uh, to abide under pressure, that's patience. If you've ever seen this game, and I've seen it at, at youth rallies and things before, where they give two guys two sledgehammers, and they, these guys have to hold the sledgehammers out with straight arms just like this. By the way, look at my arm. I'm holding it out pretty straight right there. That's pretty impressive. So, okay, uh, that's all I got. So... Um, <laughs> they hold out two sledgehammers and it's a big contest and they these guys stand up there and they try to hold this the sledgehammers up um the longest and whoever holds it the longest wins the prize and these guys by the end of it they're shaking all over the place trying to hold up the sledgehammers i mean it's a good test you guys you should try that it's a good test of your strength josiah mauer i think you would probably win that one so um so that's what it means patience means to abide under pressure all the pressure is coming down and gravity seems to be working against you, but you remain standing to abide under pressure. That's the idea of patience is that, that the, the troubles teach us to be patient, to stand up under this pressure that we didn't think we could stand under. The idea is to not quit. And James is trying to produce steadfastness in these people that aren't probably very mature Christians. And if they're not careful, the pressure and the temptation of persecution is going to crush them. And he's trying to get them to see, you just need to stick it out through the temptations. You need to abide under pressure, because true disciples stick it out. Weak faith quits, but real disciples, they stay standing strong. And God allows you to face a process in order to teach you how to keep from quitting. What's ironic is that many people quit during the process that God is allowing in their lives to teach them how not to quit. It's that very process that, that, that they quit in. I mean, i am been going through to physical therapy for a few weeks, and I want full range of motion back. I'd love to be able to throw a ball again. And, but, but if I think the treatment is too hard, I might be tempted to quit because it's hard. But what I'm not understanding is that that process is, is what is going to help me get back to where I'm supposed to be. So if I quit during the process, that, then I will miss out on all that is, I'm supposed to be learning. The very design of trials and temptations is to strengthen us so we don't quit. And it's so ironic that that's when most Christians quit. During the process through which God is trying to teach them to not quit. They become casualties through the process. Patience isn't passive suffering. Patience is not just sitting back and, and suffering in and, and sackcloth and ashes and letting everybody know how hard your life is. Sometimes we think that's, that's patience. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to passively take it. No, patience is standing up under pressure. Patience is, is not quitting under pressure. It's not just sitting back and letting everything happen to you. No, it's a courageous standing up under pressure. It's like the martyrs of old who knew that death was coming and they still retained their faith. I mean, many of them died singing and they were smiling in the flames. It's the quality that makes people able not only to suffer things but to overcome those things you won't grow without problems you don't get stronger without being stretched trials mature us and they they teach us and they test us but they're also allowed by god to do this thing as well they transform us so they they test us and they teach us but they also transform us he says in verse four let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The way that I think about that, let patience have her perfecting work. Let patience transform you from somebody who at the beginning is, I mean, under a small temptation, is just being crushed under the pressure, to somebody that at the end is standing under a temptation that you think, man, nobody could survive that. When the fire gets hot, stay under. Abide under pressure. Because God's trying to transform you, and we're trying to escape, but God's trying to change us. I think of an illustration like a boiling an egg, and how how boiled do you think an egg would get if it didn't like the hot water and kept jumping out? Yeah, and that sounds like a silly illustration, but it's true, is that the boiling process changes the egg. It takes it from something soft and breakable to something firmer. And that's what God is trying to do in our lives. He's not trying to crush us. He's trying to transform us from something that, sh- that will fold under the simplest pressure to something that will stand under the hard pressure. He's trying to transform us through the trials, and he's trying to change us and change our very nature. He's trying to take take us from somebody that's immature to somebody that's a mature child of God. Patience has a perfecting, maturing work in us. And it's sad, you know, when a grown person acts like a child, we, we think that's silly. But when God's people don't allow the trials to grow us, we remain spiritually young. Spiritually immature. The reason for our trials is to test and teach and transform us. And folks, don't miss the reason for the trials. Stand up under the pressure and, and be willing to let God do what he wants to do through the trial. But there's a follow-up thought to this. is that It's not just we, that we have to know the reasons for the trial. We also need to know the right response to the trials. You see, it's one thing to know what they're for. But it's another to know what to do when we face them. And I think that James gives us a very, this will be very practical here. James gives us a very practical, and I'm not going to, I try not to use the word formula in the, in the, when I'm talking about the Bible and things. I, I don't want you to think, well, if you just do this, this will automatically happen. But I do think there are some principles here that can help us. When you are faced with a trial, here's what you should do. And James says this, he says in verse 2, my brethren, count he says, My brethren, count it all joy. What kind of attitude are we supposed to have during trials and temptations and stress? Well, he says we're supposed to have joy. <laughs> that sounds fun. Trials? Inner gladness? That's what joy means. He says, Count it all joy. In trials, James? Yep. Okay, well, how's that going to happen? Because that's not natural. Well, he says, Count. See, trials present external pressure, but to count is your internal attitude. Here's what count means. It means to think forward. It means to consider the future. It means to regard what is, is ahead and see it coming. That's counting. It, it, it's that you are, you're not looking in the moment. You're looking at what's ahead, and you're considering that to be the biggest thing you're facing. And he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. You say, joy, that's not a mixture. It's all joy. And as I was walking in, I asked Brother Phil Everett, I said, how are you doing? He said, mostly good. I knew what he meant. He's just a wicked sinner. You know, it's not all good. We all are. He's not even in here, is he? He's out there. So, yeah. Okay, anything else you want to say about him while we're here? I mean, we'll see if he's listening. No, he says, count it all joy. In other words, he doesn't say, okay, if it's a part that's not too bad, you count that joy. If it's the hard part, you, you don't have to count that joy. No, he says, count it all joy. And what he's saying is that you have to stop thinking about these the, the trial in the moment and consider that in the end, the trial is good for you. Count it all joy. I know that's hard, but our responsibility is to view each test with this thought. How could God use this test to grow me? And I'm telling you, that's not natural when you get cut off on I-229. It's not natural when the traffic in Sioux Falls backs up like it does because we're a growing city. It's not natural when something breaks at home and it's just another thing you've got to fix. It's not natural to say, how could God use this test to grow me? But that's what he's saying is that we need to count it all joy that God could take whatever you're facing in that moment and he could transform you with it. And we need to stop looking at our trials from the ground level view and, and start looking at them from a 30,000 foot view, as they say. Uh, it, we need to stop looking at it like what's in the moment and consider that God sees it and God knew it was coming and God can actually use it to change us. Uh, how were you saved? Well, you were saved by depending only on God. You trusted him completely by faith. Now, it's easy to trust him in something that big. But, so why is it so hard to count it all joy when we have a fender bender? It's strange, isn't it? Because, you know, the big stuff, we're okay with trusting God. But in the little things, we're supposed to trust God, too. When, when something doesn't go the way you thought or when you have a financial difficulty or, or you miss a bill or you've got an extra bill and, or you've got a delay in your plans or you get a flat tire. No, we have to learn to weigh the goodness of God's character with the sufficiency of his resources and know that God loves us enough to let, he wants that trial to grow us, but he also provides us everything that we need to get through it. We have to count it all joy and just trust that God can take, a, take this temptation. And he can change us with it. Or that God can prove himself. If he can save my soul, he can use this trial to grow me. If I can trust him with the big things, I can trust him with this too. Count it all joy. So that's the first thing. He says count it all joy. But second, in verse 3, he says knowing this. So here's what you do. You count and then you know. Have an understanding mind in that you have to change your thinking about the trials. And the word is a gnosko, which means an experiential knowledge, like Paul said in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now listen, this is not just a head knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. And sometimes we think, well, you know, I know that, but if you haven't experienced it, it's a little bit different. The difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. So what should we know that makes these things easier to, to, to take and understand? Well, understand that your faith will always be tested, but know that God allows the test because He loves you and He's trying to mature you. And we may know it right now. And here's the thing here's what he's saying, is that it's one thing to know it right now. but it's another thing to know it in the middle of the trial. It's one thing to say, I, yeah, oh, I know God loves me, and I know that God wants what's best for me, and that God can transform me through this trial, but it's another thing when the trial comes to actually do what you know. I mean, it's kind of like when there's pressure, it's a little bit, it's, sometimes it's hard to, to do what you ought to do, or to think clearly. I mean, just this week, I don't know if you've, if, if you've flown very much, I find flying to be very stressful, because you got to go through the airport and you got to go through security and, and you've got to, you know, take off your shoes and take off your belt and you've got to put all your electronics in this and nothing can be on top of your laptop. If you've got a laptop and you can't have anything in your pockets and they're telling you all this information at once and you're just, I mean, it's, it's, scary. it's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do now. What's my name? I mean, you're under pressure. Have you ever felt that? When you're under pressure, it's kind of hard to, to operate like you're supposed to. I was flying this week and uh, I was flying to, from El Paso to Dallas and and I was ch- going to check my bag and I went to this kiosk and and I punched in that I have a bag and it printed off the sticker for me, which I hadn't had that happen before, but it gave me my luggage sticker. So I, I pulled the sticker off and I started reading the back of it and it gives you instructions on what to peel off and what not to peel off. So I'm looking at it, just making sure I get it, but then I noticed that this um, American Airlines lady is standing there watching me. And suddenly I'm like, uh, I, I don't know what to do now. Because I was under pressure and she's watching me. And so I, I skipped this part of the instructions that says do not peel this part of the sticker off. So I peeled it all off. I'm like, oh, she's watching me. And she's like, sir, you're not supposed to peel that part off. We can just reprint another one. And I just felt, I was like, man, I was doing fine until you started watching me. <laughs> but you know, that's how pressure, pressure does that to us. And so what you have to know is you have to know these truths before you get into the middle of the temptation. You have to know these truths before you get into the middle of the trial because if you haven't settled in your mind your response in the middle of the trial before you get to the trial, you will likely respond like every other human does when a trial comes their way and it's a massive freakout. You have to decide first. This is what I'm going to do if this happens. This is how I'm going to do it if this comes up. I mean, it's like when you're training your children. And we did this with our children when we, for a year, we sent our two older girls to school. And, and we, we literally trained them. Here's what you say if somebody comes up to you and says this. Here's your response. We, and we practice those things with them. You say, well, that's silly. Well, no, it's not. Because if you've ever been under pressure, you know that it's easy to lose your mind when you're under pressure. So if you've practiced it before you get to the place and you know what you're going to say before you get there, then it's a lot easier because you've already prepared yourself for it. And by the way, these are good exercises and principles to, to have if you're facing a temptation and you've got something in your life that you know you need to battle against. Practice what you're going to say the next time you face it. Have a plan of action the next time you face it. Because when you get in the middle of the trial, it's much, it's much easier to say, I know what I need to do uh, before you get to the trial. But in the middle of it, man, it's, it's easy to forget it all. So he says, count it all joy. And he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So count, it, count and know. And then third, let. Look at verse four. It says, but let patience have her perfect work. And this word implies, listen, let implies a surrendered will, meaning that you have to cooperate with God. You have to let him do the work that he wants to do. And God does, God cannot work in you without your permission. Did you know that? I mean, he can have cause things to happen to you, and he can come and he can cause things to be changed in your life, and he can manipulate the circumstances or or de- determine something different for you. But he doesn't work in your heart uh, without your permission. You surrender yourself to him. You let him have his work. And listen, keep on counting and keep on knowing, but also keep on letting. Let God have his work in in way in your life. Cooperate with God. You can go through discipleship and you can pass the books and you can get a certificate and you can do all the things that you need to do. But if you're not letting God work in your life, then then you will not have patience. You will not be mature. God's people sometimes are like, I'm going to tell God how life is going to be. Rather than letting God operate, we tell him how it ought to be. Or we say, Life is so hard and no one knows how I feel. Well, instead of trusting God to use the test to grow us, we grow resentful. We have a pity party about it. And listen, we have to just let God do what He's doing. If you don't let God work through your trials, you will not become mature. You'll remain a spiritual adolescent, incomplete, not whole. Honestly, the way some people act toward their difficulties makes me wonder how, many, uh, how much spiritual maturity there is. You know, it's, for some people, it's always the hardest. It's always crushing them. And they're always telling people how hard it is. Listen, I know that life is hard. I'm, I know that. I, I get that. And some people, though, you're afraid to ask how things are going. And they're not letting God do his maturing work because they're just so focused on how hard the test is. And trust me, I know, I, we've all been there. It's, it's easy to throw ourselves a pity party continuously. It's easy for us to convince ourselves that it's way harder for me than it is for everybody else. Uh, but listen, that doesn't mean that your focus every time you have a conversation with somebody is to let them know how hard it is. If you trust that God is sovereign and that temptation has come from some source, maybe he allowed it, then he's using that to mature you and the last thing that we need to be is resentful for a process that's transforming us from a spiritual adolescent to spiritual maturity. Let's let God have his perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. The idea here is that you don't resent what's happening. Rather, you accept it because it's from God and God can change you through it. Once we learn to let God just do what he can do, that's when our attitude toward difficulty starts to change. So he says, count. He says, no. He says, let. And then in verse 5, he says, ask. Here's what you do when you're faced with a trial. You, you count and you know and you let. And in verse 5, you ask. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So in trouble, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about a trial, in trouble, what should we be praying for? What do you think we should pray for? Well, I'm praying for deliverance from this trial. I'm praying for strength through the trial. I'm praying for God's help. I'm praying for God's removal of the trial. Amen. Well, James says, no, ask for wisdom. Yeah, sir. See, and that seems a little bit strange, but it actually makes sense. What, what kind of wisdom? Well, wisdom to discern that God's using the circumstance to mature us because it's easy to forget. But I really think it's this, wisdom to not waste the test that we're facing. We're all going to face trials. So choose to respond in such a way that it's not wasted on you. I need God's wisdom in the middle of a trial so that I don't miss the lesson, that I don't miss what he's trying to do, that I, that I don't waste it. I mean, too many people waste the tests. Too many people go through the difficulties and they face the test, but, but they don't respond correctly to it. And so they went through the test, but they didn't really pass. They just kind of got held back. And there's a lot of kindergarten Christians And they've faced tests like everyone else, and and they've responded with despair instead of faith. And when you're facing a test, ask for wisdom not to waste it. Well, how to ask? Well, he says nothing wavering. uh, this reminds me, like a wave of the sea, he says, reminds me of, of Peter stepping out on the water. And the idea here is that, you know, one minute Peter was looking at Christ and everything was good. But the next minute he's looking at the waves and everything goes bad. And, the, and it's, that's the idea here that I, in my mind is that nothing wavering means that one minute you don't, you don't look at Jesus one minute and say yes things are good. And then the next minute you're looking at the circumstance again. But yes all around you the trial and the waves are crashing around you but you keep your eyes on the Lord Nothing wavering, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, let him ask for wisdom, nothing wavering, but you keep your eyes where it needs to be, and that you don't start looking at the circumstances, but you keep your eyes on the Lord. See, we do that too. You know, one day we're all in and things are good, but depending on our mood, then the next day, man, life is just terrible. You have to decide not to be a fluctuating wave of the sea. Because listen, if you operate by your emotions, you will fluctuate. I don't know about you, but my emotions can be like a roller coaster. And one morning I wake up and I feel really great and things are good. And, that, and that, that changes my outlook on spiritual things. But the next morning I wake up and I'm just in a bad mood. I don't even understand it. If you can explain it to me, let me know. Except that as human beings, our emotions are like this. Up and down, up and down. And if you respond to your trials based on your emotions, some days your trials, fine, I trust God. But the other days you're down here and you're thinking this trial is going to kill me. So we have to do something besides respond to the trials with our emotions. We have to look to something more sure than that. And that's why we need God's wisdom because the truth that God provides in our trials will help us to not fluctuate every day with our emotions if you'll count it joy and know that god is working and be and let patience do its work and ask for wisdom then you can be a steadfast christian that abides under pressure even in trials in verse seven he says for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord you know what happens when we're double-minded is that god stops answering our prayer requests And he just lets it play out. He says, let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. That he'll receive wisdom or that he will receive help. I mean, no, a double-minded man that's looking in all directions won't get the help that he needs from the Lord. If your attitude is despair and fear and fluctuation, you'll miss everything God wants to do through that difficulty. I just want to encourage you tonight, don't waste your test of faith. Don't waste your test of faith. Here's the thing the difficulty comes either way. It's not if, it's when. So you can either respond correctly and grow, or you can respond incorrectly and go through that trial and come out the other side with no benefit. Be, I mean, I'm just thinking about paying for insurance. I Man, I hate to pay for insurance. But when you pay for insurance and you need it, boy, you're thankful. Well, let's suppose that you pay for insurance and you pay for 30 years and you never have an accident and you're 31, you finally have a fender bender and you bump into somebody in the parking lot at Walmart, which by the way, the parking spaces are way too small. Okay, well, let's start there. So you call your insurance and you say, well, I've been paying for 30 something years for this insurance and I just, you know, I, I had an accident, would you, would you help us out? And they say, well, we're not the kind of insurance that actually helps people. We just take your money. Which that may be the kind of insurance. That may be, actually describe insurance companies. I don't know. <laughs> well, it'd be silly then to the next month when the bill comes to pay for it, to pay that bill again. Um, because why would you keep paying for something that you don't get any benefit from? You're just you're throwing your money away. Well, really, though, that's the way that, that many Christians are when it comes to their trials, in that we have an opportunity to benefit from it and, and to grow through it, but we waste it because we respond incorrectly. Here's the thing, though, you're going to go through the trial either way, so you might as well use it to grow. You might as well benefit from it. You might as well become a better Christian and a stronger person and have increased faith at the end of that trial than at the beginning. Because you're going to go through trials anyway. It's not if, it's when. And and that's no different than how many of us respond to trials. We get upset and we ask God why. And we try to get, maybe even get sympathy from somebody. Or we turn to despair or we make sure everyone hears about how hard it is. Listen, if those are your responses, then you're wasting your test of faith. It doesn't change things. I mean, the test is still there. God says, no, instead of doing all of those things, count it all joy know that patience that this results in patience let patience mature you cooperate with god and ask for wisdom you don't need to get on facebook you don't need to start sharing it with everybody i mean listen i understand prayer i mean we should pray for each other but but god's god's design for trials is to is to go through this process count it all joy just decide That if God's involved in it, I'll be joyful. Knowing that the trying of your faith faith worketh patience. Listen, I know that if I will trust God, he'll turn this into something good for me. Let patience have her perfect work. I'm going to cooperate with God rather than work against him. And then then he, so count it all joy and know that this trying of your faith, faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work and then ask for wisdom. That's that's the way to salvage the trials. That's the way to make what you're going through count for something that's profitable for you. You want to waste the trial? Get mad. Get frustrated. Be angry. Complain. Have a spirit of self-focus. But you want to benefit from the trial? Count and know and let and ask. And then look at verse 12. This We'll get to this in a different message, but look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Wow. So the trial will end up in your blessing through a crown in heaven. Not just maturity here on earth, but future blessings. And if you will choose not to waste the tests, I'm telling you, it doesn't just benefit you now through maturity. It'll benefit you later through rewards. When we respond to a trial in faith, it turns a short-term loss into a long-term win. It grows us now and rewards us later. I'm telling you, God has designed, I mean, you, don't, you think about trials and temptations and you think nothing good come from, come from this, but it just shows us the kind of sovereign God we serve, that he can take something that difficult and he can make it into something good for us. I mean, that's amazing that the difficulties can, reward, can be a blessing now and reward later. Wrong. Here's the thing, if they're going to happen either way, if it's not if, it's, not if, it's when, then let's turn the when into a win. And let's just say I'm going to respond correctly because they're coming no matter what. So I'm going to count and know and let and ask. Wrong responses turn our trials into losses, but a right response turns our trials into wins. Now I've been thinking about this last year and a half. COVID-19, it's just been a trial. Last few weeks, I'm telling you, it's it's felt heavy. Just the losses of people that I know or people that I know have had losses. You know, in in honestly, the last year and a half, and and this hasn't happened in our church very much, which I'm thankful for, but Christians in many churches have been lost along the way. Meaning that this big trial that came along, um, it revealed, some people revealed their faith. And I hate it for them because I think we all had to go through COVID. We, we all had to deal with it. But the difference is that some people responded with fear and, and with, with resentment or with anger and, they, and questions. And they're just so much angst about it. And they were lost along the way. And then there are some that said, you know what? I'm going to face it either way. So I might as well allow God to use this year and a half to grow me. And rather than weaken my faith, I'm going to choose to strengthen my faith. Because we all have to face it. So let's be stronger Christians because of it. Let's not lose sight and lose hope and and lose our minds over everything. Let's just say, God, you know what? This is a trial we're all facing, so I'm going to count it. Count it all joy. And I'm going to know that the trying of this faith worketh my patience. You're growing me. And I'm going to let you do the work you want to do. And I'm going to ask you for wisdom along the way. And that trial has revealed some people to have a weak faith. But for others, you've allowed it to strengthen your faith. And to that, I say, praise the Lord. That he could turn something that seemed so bad at the beginning into something that actually strengthens the faith of his people in the end. So what do the trials of your life reveal about your faith? When you're faced with a trial, I mean, is there joy? Is there patience? Do you have humility before God, letting him do the work that he wants to do? Do you do you trust him? I mean, because the trial is revealing your faith. So what is the trial of your life, what is it revealing about your faith right now? Emotional responses of fear and despair and wavering reveal a weak faith. So let the trials you, faith help you face help you see where your faith is at and then adjust. You know, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world if a, t- a temptation comes along and it reveals that you had a weakness in faith. You know what it means? It just means I need to respond better the next time. And I need to trust the Lord better next time. Um, Another question. Are you receiving the benefits of the trials? Don't waste the trial you're facing. By not growing. I mean listen. It's not if. It's when. You're going to face it either way. So don't make it a double loss. Turn the win into a win. And that's the benefit of facing a trial. Don't waste the trial. Another question is. Are you willing to accept the trial. if If it means God will transform you into a more mature person. I hope so. Count it all joy. Recognize that God can turn the toughest season of your life into the season in which you grew the most. And I can tell you this, the seasons of my life that have been the hardest are the ones that I look back now on and say, I grew more in that season than in any other season of my life. Kind of like growing pains. Seems like all of our, our kids, and your kids probably too, they go through this phase where they'll be laying in bed and then they just start crying or yelling, and you know it's, and even in asleep, and their legs are hurting, and they're just in pain. And of course, the first time it happens, you run in there to save the day, and after about a week of it, you're like, please stop. But you know, those growing pains, that's part of every, all of our lives. You know, when you're physically, when you're growing, the pain is revealing your growth. And as a Christian, there are also growing pains. And I'm not saying it's ever fun and I'm not saying it's ever easy. It's not. But you can look to the pain that you're enduring in the moment and recognize that God is using that season of temptation to grow you. You're going to face it either way you might as well embrace the fact that God can use that season to test you and teach you and transform you. Rather than some who look at that season of of pain and say, well, I don't need this then, I'm out. And so their faith is revealed and they walk away from the Lord. But you know what? Walking away from the Lord won't exempt you from future trials. It'll just put you in a position where you have to face them alone. And you tell me, are you better off to go through the trials of life that we're all going to face with God or without him? I say, I want God on my side in his darkest seasons. So if we're going to face them either way, we might as well just decide now, I'm going to count, and I'm going to know, and I'm going to let, and I'm going to ask. And then just trust that God can turn this difficulty into something that transforms me from immaturity To maturity. Will you allow that to be your response? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to encourage you if you're facing a trial, if you're facing a temptation right now, if you're in the middle of a test, would you consider changing your approach? From woe is me and this is so hard and my life is just difficult and nobody has it like I do. I'm just done with this. Or would you change your approach and say, you know what, I trust the Lord. And if he promises that he can transform me in this season, I will let him. And I'll count it all joy. And I'll just know that the trying of my faith worketh patience. And I'll let patience have its perfect work. And then in the middle of it, I won't ask for deliverance. I'll ask for wisdom. And if this is the the way that God says we ought to respond to the trials, then I will choose in a season of trial to respond as biblically as I can. If you face a trial with your emotions, you're going to be like that man on the sea, I mean, wavering. But if you face that trial with truth, God will take you from where you are And transform you into something he wants you to be in maturity. I pray that we all face the temptations of life. Using the wisdom of James. Through God's Holy Spirit right here. The the inspired word of God. That we would say this is the way I choose to face my trials. Heavenly Father I thank you for this truth. And I pray that you just speak to us through it. And the issue with a message like this is there are plenty of people who aren't in the middle of the trial right now. And so they don't know that this applies or they don't really think about it applying to them. And yet the trial could be tomorrow. And if we're not ready for it, then we start responding based on our emotions because we weren't prepared and that we could be a loss in the middle of the temptation. So God, it applies to those that aren't facing a trial right now too. The ones that are in our, our not dealing with the, with the temptation, they're not dealing with the difficulty, God, would you help us to respond correctly to, and know that it's coming. It's not if, it's when. And God, that we would all decide that our response to the trial will be a biblical response. And then for the, those that are in the middle of the heaviness, because there are some even right now, in the middle of the heavy trial, and I pray that you'd help them to stop fluctuating and responding with emotion and start responding with truth. That They would count, count it all joy and know that the trying of their faith worketh patience and let patience have her perfect work. And if any of us lack wisdom, let us ask. Not, not wavering, but in faith. So God, we ask you, we know trials are coming. We know trials are being faced. We ask you to help us with your grace to respond correctly to them. Have your will and way tonight. Help us to respond in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.